Good morning. Uh, it's just a, a privilege and an honor to always uh, get up here and uh, deliver the message uh, and the word. And so I do so humbly and obviously by the grace of God uh, am, I, am I up here. Um, been uh, just kind of thinking about and pondering some of uh, the ideas that uh, actually Mike has shared with us uh, on several occasions. Uh, this idea of going from a cruise ship to a battleship. And I think also I should probably let you know that um, I have been binge-watching um, this uh, documentary series on Vietnam. So there's this, like, battleship kind of war thing going on, and, and uh, so it's kind of been <laughs> in, my, in my mind the last uh, number of weeks. But I, I basically have, have kind of just been thinking about some other things uh, in, like, comparing and contrasting the two. And, and I know Mike shared several times about just how... Uh, right on a cruise ship, you, you state you're comfortable, uh, and then obviously in a battleship, it'd be very different if you were lying on a lounge chair on the deck. Um, and some of the other things that, that I've been thinking about with this, I, this idea is that cruise ships often, I was thinking of kind of the ones in uh, maybe like uh, a Caribbean cruise, they know the predetermined places that they're going. It's familiar, and it's but a battleship may or may not know its destination. Yet, another difference is if the sirens go on a battleship versus a cruise ship, I think we could probably guess there's going to be quite some differences there. Battleship, what happens? The siren goes, people get up, and they go to their positions, and they know what to do. Cruise ship, right? sleep in the eyes, wondering, like, what's going on, right? There would be some confusion, I, I can imagine. So there's some difference there. So looking ahead, there's journeys in life. And the journey of life can be unexpected and sometimes can be scary. Change can be good, but it also can be difficult. As God's children, what, we are supposed to do, what are we supposed to do when things are changing around us? Maybe let's take a look at Oceanside Church. Maybe there's a lot of new faces around. Maybe that can be intimidating. Maybe there's dear friends that have moved away. Maybe there's sickness, as we've heard this morning. Maybe there's challenges with kids and parenting. But this morning, we're going to take a look at a journey Ezra and the Israelites went on. But first, I just want to do a little bit of a background. Just thanks to Andy and Katie for the last couple of weeks really setting the stage. Focusing on Ezra chapter 6, just briefly here, it says we read about the completion of the temple. And the Israelites then celebrated Passover. This celebration was to remind them of what God had done releasing them from the bondage of slavery under the Egyptians. And this is an interesting fact. There is about 60 years between the completion of the temple and this second journey that we're going to read about in Ezra chapter 7 and 8. Then you also hear about a third journey in the book of Nehemiah. I got it in, Mark. I got the book. We were trying to stay away from it, but I had to get it in there. So, um, There's approximately 1,500 people 
including small kids and elderly, that cameth Ezra on this second journey to Jerusalem from Babylon. The 1,500-kilometer journey took Ezra and the Israelites about four months, or 119 days with a delay to pray and fast. So on that note, I am a parent, so parents now we can't ever complain anymore about going on small road trips because they went 1,500 kilometers with small children. I think they probably understood what that was like or why it took four months for them to do that journey with small kids, right? But the overarching kind of big idea that I want to really for us to focus on and the ideas will, will fall underneath this is this, is God's providence and sovereignty is on every journey in your life. God's providence is his protection and his care. Sovereignty is God's supremacy over everything else. He is orchestrating the details of your life. His providence is the connective tissue between the details of your life and his sovereign plans. And quickly again, just focusing on that first wave of people that came in Ezra chapters 1, 2, and 3. Those people were obviously, or possibly even unable to see what that journey would mean and what his sovereign plans were in that first journey. Perhaps they couldn't see how their hard work and they couldn't visibly see the results, possibly by paving the way for the rest of the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. We know how their story unfolds, so we have the benefit of hindsight, seeing God's hand on every detail of their journey and building the temple in those first few chapters. Yet again, at the time, they couldn't see the finish line and had no idea how the op- what opposition they would face or have to overcome. Everyone in this room has at one point faced opposition in their journey or is facing it right now. You can't possibly see the connections through the difficulties that you may be facing or the plans that God has. But through this story of Ezra, is going to encourage us this morning, I can tell you that, as it clearly shows God's providence and sovereignty at work in the lives of the Israelites amidst the difficult circumstances. So just briefly, I'm going to summarize starting of chapter 7. So Ezra chapter 7, you can turn there with me. It starts with a list of people. And how many of you, much like maybe me, see this list of people and tend to want to skip over it. I, okay, I confess. You're like, what, like, what are these there for? One of the reasons uh, these people are there is it's pretty cool that Ezra is, again, just showing how his lineage goes back all the way back to Aaron and the time of Moses. The other thing that I found really cool is that if you look at the names of some of these meanings, Hebrew and then translate to English, some of the names can be translated like this, Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has spoken. Yahweh has shone forth. My portion is Yahweh. So I found it pretty encouraging just to read some of those names. But let us pick up Ezra 7 and skipping down to verse 6. So this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. 
And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants. Verse 8. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. From the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his, of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In Israel. So the first kind of sub-point that I would like to just um, expand on more is God prepares and equips you for the exact place in history that you are living. And I find chapter 7, verse 10, really interesting how Ezra set his heart. You can also, if you dig a little deeper, it could mean that he was swift or quick in the area of the word. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. We read that earlier. Here is the key for us. Are we a people that have set our hearts on God's word? Have we taken the truth of the word? Do we learn it? Do we study it? Do we think about it? Is it ingrained in our habits? And we see, as again, hindsight shows us, it was important that Ezra was skilled in the law as Israel needed someone to help them get back on track. Bible study was not merely an intellectual discipline, but a personal study in his life and for the instruction of the Israelites. Because there was so much time had passed, remember, right, the Israelites were, uh, many of them were in Babylon and others were scattered. They didn't know the word of God very well anymore. They needed someone skilled in the word to get them back on track. Because as I stated, even between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's 60 years between the completion of the temple and the start of that chapter, or the start of that second journey. So people obviously had to go through a lot in those 60 years. There's plans that God had for them. But those weren't wasted years. And I can't help myself, and I often use David as an example as well, of just this, this time that God uses. Right? We think of when King David was anointed but then became king. And I was just thinking about some of the things. He was a teenager. He was anointed the king of Israel. But what happened in between that? He faced Goliath. He was banished by Saul. He hid in the desert, lived on the run, forced out of the nation, and fought many battles. But we see this pattern throughout Scripture, and I believe God still uses it today, that there's time in between, but it's not wasted time. So let us continue to read in chapter 7, verse 11, and there's another key point that I want to draw your attention to. So my second is, God is always steps ahead of us on our journey. So verse 11 of chapter 7 says this, This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters 
of the commandments of the Lord and in the statutes of Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God and of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel, priests or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold the king and his counsels have freely offered to the Lord God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylon. And with the free will offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. Verse 17. With this money then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, lambs. With grain offerings and their drink offerings, you shall offer them on the altar of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the gold and silver, you may do according to the will of God. The vessels that you have been given, um, given you for the service of the house of God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem and whatever else is required for the house of God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but that's a pretty amazing thing that we just read about. God paves the way for you and I. He makes provisions for you to solve problems you didn't even know you had yet. This is his providence. God steps ahead of us, working history in his time. He shakes nations and changes the hearts of kings and of queens. And it says there later in Scripture, it says, the Lord made the people's heart joyful because he had turned the king's heart towards the people's effort. And the amazing part of that piece of scripture is that's not even the whole letter that the king wrote. There's even more in there for you to read. Ezra must have had some favor with the king. Is it not amazing that God has also placed Ezra in a place of favor and honor with the king? Basically, what the king is saying there is, you can have whatever you need, right? Open hands. And it's estimated that the items that they took would supply the temple's needs for about two years. But again, if you read further into it, it goes even further to say he even declares the kings and the area that they were going in, like you guys as well, give them what, what you need. So even beyond that, even beyond himself, he was saying, in my kingdom, even the kingdom you're going into. And we see in verse uh, 27, Ezra's gratefulness to God. And he responds with this. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem 
and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord. My God was with me. And I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Ezra is blown away by what God is doing and has done. That he ends this part of scripture with thanksgiving for everything he has done. My third point, God orchestrates the right people together for your journey. The right people to come together for your journey. I want to just highlight some verses in chapter 8. Verse 15. So Ezra 8, 15 says, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. So we can see in this section Ezra's wise decisions. They're constantly linked and dependent upon God's grace and care. First, he sees the lack of leaders, specifically for worship in this newly constructed temple. So what does he do? He calls for a whole group of priests and Levites to come. And eventually, he gives them these precious items that the king had graciously given them. And later, you would see at the end of chapter 8, that again, they bring it to the temple of the Lord. And so, I was, um, I was kind of thinking about um, kind of leadership. And a, a story came, came to mind. Um, how, many, how many of you have ever been on like a multi-day backpacking trip in the woods? Okay, there's a few, a few hands there. And what, what's pretty uh, amazing is, right, the lessons and things that you learn along the way. And believe it or not, it was quite a while ago, as I'm thinking about it, it's like 2002, oh man, it's a long time ago. Uh, but my wife and I had the opportunity to do the West Coast Trail. And what was amazing about this trip is one of our teachers... Uh, had actually been on the West Coast Trail about 20 times. He's probably been more so, obviously, uh, since that time. But what's pretty remarkable is when you have a leader that's been on the journey before, there's quite a bit of trust there, isn't there? We did a typical thing. We had meetings beforehand with parents to give them the game plan and the strategies We also did one of those where you pack your bag the night before, but then the the teachers would look through it to make sure that, you know, you didn't take anything out or have something that you don't need. Like, I've been on trips with uh, students, and somebody brought the two-liter bottle of Scope. (laughs) Didn't want bad breath, I guess. I'm not sure why, but anyway. Um, So, right, as the day nears, we, we we pack up and we head out. But what was cool about that journey was we all stayed together in a group. We never let one person fall behind. We made meals for each other. Each person was actually given a portion of food to carry. 
I don't know if it was a cruel joke, but I got this huge thing of sausages that was going to be eaten on the last day. So I literally had to carry this big giant thing for like five days. So you, you can tell I was, I was a bit uh, bent out of shape about it. And because um, uh, more confessions this morning, I, I picked up a friend's bag. And this friend of mine was bigger than me, better shape than me, you know, the guy that worked out. And I picked up his bag and it was like 30 pounds lighter than mine. And so I couldn't help myself and I took the sausage out of my bag and I placed it into his. And as I am about to turn away, the teacher catches me. And you know the dialogue in your head, you're like, okay, how can I get out of this? Do I just say yes? You know what? But the teacher did something I didn't expect. He looks at me and I look at him and he says, I got some stuff out of my bag too. Let me go get it. And he goes and grabs stuff and puts it in the, in the bag. But as he does that, my friend actually noticed what he's doing. He says, hey, you know, what are you doing? And, he, and oh, I wanted to play a joke. But of course, the student was like, you know, no problem. I'll totally carry your stuff and didn't realize my stuff was in there. So, Right? <laughs> And that day happened to be the longest day we actually hiked. It was like 20 kilometers. He's pulling out the stuff out of his bag, and we're watching and kind of laughing. And what happens is he actually pulls out, and I confess, this was not me, this was somebody else. He pulls out a big giant rock. And somebody, so he was carrying all of our meat and this big giant rock. And so... He was a little upset. I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it that way. But why, why am I sharing this story this morning? One, it's amazing to have a great leader when we're on a journey. But also, if we look back at the priests and the Levites, I'm pretty sure they weren't, you know, giving up their gold and trying to, like, get rid of it and, and hide it like, like I was. They, they took the stuff and were probably honored and privileged to take the amazing things that God had given to them. But as we look back at Scripture, at verse 28 of chapter 8, they consecrate the items, basically making them sacred. And it says here, 28, And Ezra, I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. And I love that. The gifts God had given are special. But do you notice what he said about the priests? That they are special as well. You are set apart for him for such a time as this. You, sitting in that seat. Going back to verse 21, so Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 says, Ezra, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. We see the humanist side come out in Ezra here. It says, for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect, protect us 
against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. So we see here, Ezra's got some butterflies in his stomach. <laughs> he didn't ask for a band of soldiers to guard them on, his, on their journey. Yet, what do we see in the midst of this? What does Ezra do and what is his example? When he was uncertain, he didn't pretend to have all the answers. He was not tricking anyone or trying to convey that he had all the answers to the people. He didn't know all the answers to the questions that lay ahead. So we must humble ourselves. We must be dependent on God alone. He is our lifeline in our journey. Ezra knew how critical it was to have God's direction, provision for this journey. So he fasted as a means of turning his attention more fully to God's voice and direction. There's something powerful about turning our full body and mind on God's voice in our journey. The Bible is full of scenarios where believers fasted in order to hear a very specific word from God or to see an outcome changed. And here's a quote on fasting from John Piper. He says this, about fasting. He says, we are putting our stomach where our heart is to give added intensity and expressiveness to our ache for Jesus. We fast to express our longing or our ache for all the implications of Jesus' power in the present moment that isn't completely realized. We want to see people healed. We want to see people saved. We want to see marriages redeemed. We ache and long for this to happen. Therefore, we ask Jesus to come by putting this exclamation point of our longing at the end of our own desires. And so, again, I just find it amazing how God speaks just with the announcement that Mark made earlier about um, the prayer for the Tate family. And I hope you can glean some, I, um, just some of God's heart behind fasting. But again, if you have more questions, please come and ask. But again, this longing to know Jesus' heart. So then if you read on in the chapter, because I feel like, you know, it's the suspense. Like, did they make it? Yeah, yeah, they made it to Jerusalem, right? They, they entered the promised land. And Ezra and the Israelites, with God's direction, after this time of fasting, continued on their journey and make it to Jerusalem and offer these offerings that God had given to them. And so again, we see God's providence and sovereignty is on every journey in your life. So now just to bring it in a little bit closer to us today. And a couple things just to finish this morning is one, we can be overwhelmed by the journey God has called us on. And that's why I love just the song that we sung this morning, right? 
Maybe there is fear behind that, right? Maybe some of you are sitting here and and God has given you dreams that are big dreams. Maybe to, you know, be that captain of the battleship, to lead people in what God has called you to do. Maybe that that can be overwhelming. When we don't have all the details of how things are going to work out, again, it can be overwhelming as we looked in this piece of Scripture. But again, be encouraged as God's providence and sovereignty is on every journey of our life. Again, if Oceanside is your home, as friends, as families, as leaders, we want to help start. We want to help continue. We want to help rekindle the journey God has for your life. But again, I want to highlight from Scripture that when these big plans of God come, sometimes we can get overwhelmed. But again, reminding us, looking back to the story of Ezra, what did he do in that time? They prayed and they fasted and focused their attention on God. And then just finally... There's people here that have been at Oceanside for a long time, and we are so grateful for you and that God has brought you here. But I want to also encourage those that have been here for a short while, that we need you as well, that God has placed you here, that we need you to take up your spot on this journey. Because God has called us to great things. And so, I encourage you with this this morning, that again, God's providence and sovereignty is on every part of our journey.